there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. We are 400 episodes in. You guys are going to warm up the show like that all of a sudden? We are on probably the most serious topic we have ever covered. And you guys want to start by making it sounds as if you're an alien spacecraft made out of hamburger meat. I spent all week doing work on a network sitcom. I was on Warner Brothers, and this is true. I somehow hurt my throat. How? Doing something. But I can't say what it was. <laughs> Watch out for Henry Zabrowski on Superstore, where he plays someone who sues the company for sexual harassment. Evidently, yeah. I have no idea what happened. I was used as a toy. <laughs> I'm sure. You know what I don't understand about the way conspiracy theories and like historians write about Lee Harvey Oswald mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. the fact, right? Where they include all the names. Lee Harvey Oswald is the way it's kind of pitched. I, don't, I guess it's because an assassin sounds more interesting with three names. Yeah. But all the people back in the day just call him Lee Oswald. <laughs> if they all, they, it's way better to be like, well, Lee Oswald, he led the tyranny of his own mind with the silver bullet within the rifle that felled America's greatest hero. And it's like, I just, just say Lee Harvey Oswald. I don't know why I'm just, I'm stuck on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think people put the Harvey in so it makes it seem as if he had a plan. <laughs> All right, everyone, welcome to the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel, hanging out with Marcus Parks. Hi, Ben. And then we have acting super superstar on Superstore, Henry Zabrowski. At what point do I give you so many accolades and uh, so much applause that you begin to think I'm making fun of you? Uh, it's already begun. It already feels like that. I, and we don't know if I'm even going to be on the show. I actually don't even know if I can even say that. We have said it now, so now it's out there. Uh, because I could be cut from the show. Who knows what's going to happen? But it was nice to be with my best friend, Ben Feldman. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. We are on to JFK Part 3. Lee Oswald. Whoa. (laughs) So when last we left Lee Harvey Oswald, the president's assassin was living back in Dallas apart from his wife and two children, and the friend Marina was staying with had done Oswald a favor by getting him a job at the Texas School Book Depository. Or was it his double? And was Ruth Payne an occult member of the CIA backstory? (laughs) I don't know. Just asking questions. 
Now this job was actually perfect for Oswald because, as opposed to all the other jobs he'd been fired from over the years, he didn't have to actually interact with anyone directly because his only job was to fill book orders up on the sixth floor. See, that is actually a very good hiring technique. If I worked or owned a uh, restaurant, I would say only vegetarians allowed. They're not going to eat the meat. And so if I had a book what? depository, I'd say what? only people who can't read because then they're not going to be thumbing through the books. They're going to be doing their job. You're the single worst businessman who has ever been born. They have to be able to read. It's literally the only thing that they have to do, and they have to eat the meat. Got to see if the meat is spoiled. No, the meat's not spoiled. We assume it's fresh until we hear otherwise. <laughs> On the other hand, it might just be that Oswald wasn't in the job long enough to fuck it up. Mm. Because the day that JFK's limo drove by the Texas School Book Depository was just a little more than a month after Oswald began working there. But during this time, Oswald seemed to make an attempt to turn his life around, even if that attempt was brief and half-hearted. Two days after getting the job at the depository, Marina threw Oswald a surprise birthday party, where he spent the entire night apologizing for every bad thing he'd ever done over the course of their marriage. Hey, listen, there's a lot I gotta apologize for, Marina, obviously. Uh, Lee, Lee, one. I'm sorry, just one second. Surprise! Oh! It's your birthday! Yes. Uh, anyway, continue. <laughs> you can continue, though, yeah? Yeah. I just want to say I'm sorry, number one, uh, for uh, my biggest regret is that I ate all the gum that you bought for the house. <laughs> I know that you bought it for the two of us to share, but I'm, you know, I'm a gum hound. And I'm also just, I'm real sorry that, uh, I'm real sorry that I forgot that we were supposed to go to the movies last Tuesday. It's a whole thing. <laughs> well, anyway, here is your cake. Blow out the candles. Okay. Now, upon moving back to Dallas, Oswald had promised Marina that he wouldn't try to kill General Edwin Walker again. I promise. <laughs> do you? I won't do it. Listen, I know what I want. I went in. I went to talk therapy. I understand. It's a part of what I have to do is that it's like, yes, just because other people label me small potatoes doesn't mean I need to feel like small <laughs> potatoes. It actually that I just need to believe and know that my own potatoes are big enough for myself. And that's all that matters. So all that matters is, is how big are my potatoes to me? Okay, you double dog swear that you're not going to kill the general? I triple dog swear. Wow. So, yep. Come on home, baby. And besides, Oswald's plan had totally backfired because Walker had become even more popular in the interim, specifically because of the assassination attempt. Well, he did his whole, afterwards. He was like, I ran out there and I chased after that young taught boy. I knew that if I just found my assassin and I applied the secret skills I taught in general school of just filleting the balls, I would get him to confess his crimes. Um, sir, it is interesting. Could you just give a physical description of the assassin, please, uh, in such a, in like a non-sexual way? Oh, okay. Um... Slender of cock. I'm sorry, let me start again. <laughs> he had the most head I've seen on a tiny man. Oh, okay. And how long was it after this that uh, Edwin Walker got busted in a in a sting for uh, trying to buy a blowjob in a public bathroom? It was the 80s. The 80s. That's what he did. He did the he did the long stance, <laughs> and that's what he got arrested for. And then he he solicited he asked a cop. For a blowjob and gave him money. And I'm pretty certain that person had a badge on. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Also, why, I, you know, 
You can kind of recognize a cop by their mouth. There's a cop mouth. (laughs) Just feel like you got to be very aware when talking with someone trying to get a blowjob from them. Uh If they got sharp teeth, little teeth, but many teeth, and no lips. Do you think the cop went as far as to start sucking his penis and then be like, I hate to tell you, this is a crime. <laughs> You're arrested. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, I feel like the cock. I feel like the cop should have to put their uh, their lips on the cock. Otherwise, we don't have a blowjob now, do we? We had this mm. same conversation with the Jim Jones episode, and we will continue to have this conversation <laughs> until we are done recording, because we need to get to the bottom of this. And even though Oswald did attend one of Walker's rallies, he probably should have stayed as far away as possible because his trip to Mexico had finally caught him the official attention of the FBI. Mm. With the attention on paper. Now they are starting to send people out after him because we know that the CIA is watching him, not Mm. on paper, because they didn't do anything on paper unless it's invisible ink or some other horseshit involving like squirrels with memos attached to their insides. Just whatever kooky idea the CIA has. Yes. And of course, that was because he wanted to, he went to the Russian embassy and the Cuban uh, embassy. Mm -hmm. He said, let me in. And Mm -hmm. they said, no can do. They said, get the fuck out of here. And the man put in charge of monitoring and investigating Lee Harvey Oswald was Agent James Hosty. And Hosty started interviewing friends and neighbors about Oswald's activities pretty soon after Oswald returned from Mexico City. Now, Agent Hosty did not see Oswald's potential for violence, but that's mostly because everyone he talked to about Oswald downplayed or outright didn't mention just how violent Oswald could be. Well, it seems it seems like they were covering for them and their domestic violence. They mm-hmm. were kind of didn't want anybody in their business, and you had a bunch of weird-ass Russian dissidents all hanging out, mixed with several CIA assets that are also in there that are that, that are observing Lee Harvey Oswald. It's a very sticky situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When Hostie asked Marina about Oswald, specifically his work on Fair Play for Cuba in New Orleans, she just said that he was young and didn't know what he was doing and was unlikely to pull the same shit in Dallas. And instead of mentioning that her husband was physically abusive and had attempted to assassinate a public figure in Dallas earlier that year, Marina just begged Hostie to not interfere with Oswald's new job at the book depository. Because Oswald had been telling her for years that the reason why he was getting fired from jobs was Mm -hmm. because the FBI kept hassling him. But Hostie was forced to say, uh, the FBI's never gone and looked for Lee Harvey Oswald officially at work until now what would they even do but how would you mess how would you mess with someone who works at a book depository would you just crunkle some pages in a in a Walt Whitman poem like what would you how would you mess with him at his job just to see the FBI bust you Kissel as you're as you're adding all the extra goop inside the chicken McNuggets that you were <laughs> serving to people what? Just, <laughs> what this is a sting oh man <laughs> And when Marina told Oswald about the visit from the FBI, he was understandably nervous and agitated, but only told Marina that if they came again, she should write down the make, color, and license number of the agent's car, although I'm not sure what he could have actually done with that information. He liked notes, and he liked data. He thought that amassing these data points would help him later on with identifying whoever was harassing him or whatever his convoluted side story was. 
I do have a feeling as well he's just so dim-witted that if he felt like he was being followed by the FBI, he'd take two right turns and then start following them. <laughs> and then he'd just be like, and now see, now I'm following you. And then they're like, this isn't how it works. Get out of the car. And then they could just shoot him whenever they want. He needs a potted plant costume. Like one of those where he hands aside the pot and then he pops up and he's got a bush on his head. <laughs> but when the FBI came back, Marina's housemate, Ruth Payne, just told the FBI that Oswald was an illogical person and a communist, but ultimately harmless. And the two women agreed to not tell Oswald about the visit. In response to that first visit, though, Oswald wrote two letters. One was sent to the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C., telling them of his activities in Mexico City and calling the Cuban consul, quote-unquote, stupid for not approving his visa. They were stupid. They were stupid, and you know what else was stupid? The amount of empanadas I was forced to eat. It was like uh, some kind of forced competition on me. And I'd kind of say, I was like, enough with the food. Enough with what you're doing here. Get away from me, Abuelita. I'm, I'm already filled up with chips. Now I'm eating four empanadas, and now I'm eating all this dessert. And I know you charge it for me, and I don't understand this Mexican money. You can just see the civil servant who got the letter just be like, put this in the wacko pile. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. The other letter uh, was dropped off at Agent Hostie's office and instructed Hostie to stop bothering Marina and to talk directly to Oswald if he had any questions. Uh. And the letter, which was destroyed after Oswald was killed, was at the time dismissed as the rantings of, quote, some nut. Uh. Some nut. Yikes. <laughs> but I think it's interesting how much evidence was destroyed. There was so many pieces of evidence, if you believe the CIA, that they had pictures of Lee Harvey Oswald outside of the Mexican consul that they destroyed. Everybody else saying they destroyed all of this paper trail of all of the people that were having little tabs on Lee Harvey Oswald as he had his misadventures, his international misadventures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you start to wonder, at some point, when is it suspicious that you either, number one, were trying to absolve yourself of any sort of, like, we didn't and stop him and we had a chance to or or is it some other paper trail where it shows some kind of involvement with Lee Harvey Oswald the problem is, is the lack of evidence is what makes it super fucking sketchy mm -hmm. and don't forget coming to NBC this Saturday now that's some nuts starring <laughs> Sirhan Sirhan David Chapman and Lee Harvey Oswald I could see the Pornhub thing where it's just like trying to fill a glass with it that's some nut hosted by Mark Summers well because Hostie completely dismissed Oswald as a harmless if still communist kook he was suspended without pay following the assassination and was eventually transferred to the Kansas City FBI office, which he, has a lot less prestige than the Dallas FBI office. He dropped the ball. If you watch, the, there's that new, uh, was I think it's called uh, the Monopoly McMillionaires, I think yes, it's called, yes. documentary. Yeah, it's fucking great. It's great, but they talked about the, the head FBI guy who's a lot of fun in this series is talking about how he was stationed in Jacksonville and how much it sucked because he's like, nothing happens. There's no action. So they all jumped on this huge story. So I can imagine what it's like sitting in Kansas City just being like, I hope somebody steals some fucking corn today so we can bust him. <laughs> perhaps the biggest question when it comes to Lee Harvey Oswald and the assassination of John F. Kennedy across the board among both historians and conspiracy theorists 
is the question of motivation. Mm. Yes. See, since Lee Harvey Oswald was cut down himself by an assassin's bullet before he got the chance to be interrogated properly, we really don't have a definitive answer as to why Oswald killed the president. Mm. A little too ironic. <laughs> yeah, I really do think. I'm sure we're going to get to uh, what happened there with Mr. Rubenstein. But Oswald! I just... Oswald! <laughs> but the picture of the, uh, of the sheriff just... Neoing like he's in the Matrix yeah. away from like the yeah, total lack like, of heroic <laughs> movement from the sheriff. You're just like, wow. In fact, there is no evidence that Oswald had a specific grudge toward JFK outside of resenting him for his privilege. But on the other hand, that privilege was a product of the capitalist system, and Whoa. Oswald was a staunch Marxist, so he certainly didn't have warm feelings towards JFK. Only in America, only in America, can an Irishman be considered privileged. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? JFK what? was enormously rich. Very rich. <laughs> I'm just saying. What do you mean? What's wrong with being an Irishman? Yeah, what's wrong? What happened? Where'd that come from? That was a racist wow. statement against Holy Irishmen. No, I was I the anti-Irish one. You're not Irish, number one. You're just a leprechaun. Marcus, <laughs> he just had lunch today, so he's got a lot of energy. No, what I am saying is the Irish historically have not been treated well, but you come to America and you can be president. Yes, you will be shot, but you can be president <laughs> of these great states. Are you about to start the there were actually more white slaves than black slaves <laughs> argument? <laughs> If you think about it. Well, the most evidence we have is a letter that Oswald wrote to Kennedy's brother Robert in 1959 from Moscow. In that letter, Oswald said, quote, In the event of war, I would kill any American who put a uniform on in defense of the American government. Any American. Even Dick Van Dyke. Even I'll Dick shoot Van the, Dyke. I'll shoot the teeth out of his mouth one huge tooth at a time. <laughs> Have you seen that Dick Van Dyke pro Bernie video? <laughs> yeah, looks like he a... looks like the preacher from the, uh, the Poltergeist, I think, three. Yeah. <laughs> he's 94 years old. Okay? He's scary he's doing, for, for a chimney sweep, he's living pretty long. He never got any lung cancer or anything. <laughs> He looks like a skeleton that someone's pasted a whole bunch of teddy bear stuffing onto. <laughs> we'll see so how scary. we look if we get to He's be 94. So <laughs> but specific to JFK, that statement that Henry just read was not. Now, as we get closer to November 22nd in this timeline, motivations might become a little more clear. But as far as a definitive answer goes, I'm afraid that what we're looking for Died with Oswald. God. Oh, no. <laughs> this is why it's frustrating, though, right? Yeah. Well, of course. There's a very interesting op-ed from the L.A. Times uh, from four years ago by James Reston that talks about a uh, their one theory he had was that actually the true victim inside the car. If if we believe in the lone nut theory that the person that Lee Harvey Oswald did have motivation to kill was Connolly. The governor of mm -hmm, Texas mm -hmm. that was in the car because in a journal that was released and during that big, I think it was in 2016, they released all of the soup, the uh, formerly classified files. They did this big release and one of them was a journal that Lee Harvey Oswald had and on it, it said it had a list of people that he was going to kill. Mm -hmm. It said, I will kill. <laughs> and it said James Hostie, Edwin Walker, Richard Nixon 
And then John Connolly, and then next to John Connolly, he drew a dagger with blood drops dripping from it. That's his doodle. So it's a theory of what if he showed up to kill the governor, instead killed the president in the biggest Mr. Magoo (laughs) meets fuck Oliver Stone bullshit that ever happened. And you're accusing me of being anti-Irish, and you're sitting here saying, oh, Kennedy's head was so big that it just blocked out an entire body of a governor. It's ridiculous what you've just said, Henry, and I think we're going to have to take it to the apology tour. (laughs) But before we get to the day itself, let's explore the background of the unfortunate victim in this whole saga to demonstrate just how many people JFK had pissed off in his first term, and why Dallas in particular was a dangerous place for the president. It is pretty ballsy that he showed up in fucking Dallas. Honestly, he yeah. was, I'm not, again, he's not asking for it. No. But he didn't, he didn't do a lot to prevent it. Yeah. No. Now, the scuttlebutt over the years has been that JFK's father, Joe Kennedy, was wrapped up with the mob during the days of Prohibition, and that the mob helped JFK get elected. I mean, a lot of people take, you know, oh yeah, like Joe Kennedy was, he was involved with the mob. People take that as fact. However, there is no credible link made between the Kennedys and the Italian Mafia, hmm. and it is the consensus amongst respected historians that this Whoa. was indeed a myth. Shade. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere David Icke just got a chill down his spine. <laughs> I am respected. <laughs> well, these stories came mostly from former mobsters trying to sell books in their old age. Uh, and in one case, a story came from a 93-year-old piano tuner who said he once saw Kennedy come over to Al Capone's house for a spaghetti dinner. Wait a second. You could just have a job as a piano tuner? Dude, piano that tuner, was... they had their own union. Yeah, that's a big deal. All they did was tune... When, when, when was America so musical? When, is <laughs> that what happened? used to have purity where people used to sit and spin yarns at each other and then sit and someone would play a piano and everyone would sing the standards at the time instead of everybody sucking each other's feet playing with each other's assholes in these these big sexual parties that we have now. That was just the Bill Murray Christmas special you described in both scenarios. But no matter what the truth is, once Kennedy got into office, he appointed his brother Robert as attorney general and instructed him to take down the mob, which resulted in an 800% increase in organized crime convictions. Yeah, Yeah, we got to take care of that mob, see, because mob, they got a terrible series of accents. (laughs) Unlike us, the Kennedys. It's an accent. Because all accents are great. They are something. I'm working, man. I I have an entire month left of these shows to work on this accent. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, you're going to want to check out Henry on Superstore. Uh, he's great. <laughs> we don't know if I'll make it. <laughs> and again, that's convictions. An 800% increase in convictions. Wow. Which means the increase in arrests must have been astronomical. 
Well, you See, just d- leave a pile of spaghetti behind a dumpster, and you can at least get one, <laughs> one fucking mobster to crawl back there. Hey, look at that. It's free spaghetti. Nice. And then you just drop a cage on him. All of our Italian listeners are like, they get one more joke before we're going to the studios. <laughs> like, they're just... But I, I relate to our Italian listeners. I just bought four velour suits. I'm wearing my velour shirt today. Oh, wow. It's very warm, yep. so I understand they got good fashion, and I like the Italian people. Yeah, you're wearing nothing but Muppet now. <laughs> That's it, baby. See, JFK and RFK rightly believed that organized crime was a much bigger threat to America than communism. Sure. And they redirected the FBI accordingly. Well, this- unless you... It depends on what you mean by the type of crime. It depends on what you mean by important. The mafia fucks with the government's money because they don't pay taxes. That's right. why they're a bigger target. Communists just eat soup and form <laughs> big groups. I don't know what the hell they do. I didn't know what they were. What was so dangerous? What they were doing in America at the time? That America was under a capitalism. They weren't flipping. They weren't owning the methods of production. They were just yelling at people with homemade megaphones. Yep. The mafia weren't paying taxes. Well, yep. we're paying taxes, and we're also involved in quite a b- few illegal activities that resulted in the death and misery of uh, thousands. Hey, man, sometimes hey, some eggs. They get, <laughs> sure. They get cracked, baby. And you got to make the omelets. <laughs> and, of course, the communists were responsible for the great soup shortage of 1943. <laughs> and I think we need to hold them accountable for all of these starving children that didn't get their soup at night. <laughs> well, this refocus from communism to the mafia didn't sit well with FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) (laughs) And he already was not sitting well with the thong he was wearing. This is fun. (laughs) Having fun today. (laughs) Well, Hoover absolutely believed that communism was the biggest threat that America had ever seen. And he continued to believe that throughout the years until he was eventually removed from the post. Mm. With that, Kennedy made not one, but two very powerful enemies. The Mafia and J. Edgar Hoover. Damn. And also in the intelligence world, JFK was in the process of dismantling the CIA because he believed that they had too much power. Yep. And in doing so, JFK made powerful enemy number three. If you read, there's a very interesting book called JFK and the Unspeakable that I think that we are going to use as a main source when we start deeper and deeper into our conspiracy episodes five and six. The author, James Douglas, was a he's a theologian who kind of he's a little bit in love with Kennedy and he paints him in a very, very positive light. But he really does break down how the CIA like truthfully how dangerous the CIA was at the time and how deeply Kennedy was fucking them. Because they mm. had worked their way completely inside of the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Joint, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And they were the main, like, in terms of intelligence, they were one of the main advisors for mm. the president for domestic and non-domestic issues. And so they had a lot of control for many, many years. So especially th- at this point, they were, they were doing a lot of horseshit. They were already flipping governments in Africa and doing a bunch of shit outside of the sea. And so what... What Kennedy was just straight up saying, he pulled them out of the White House, he cut their budget, he then said the terms, I'm going to rip the CIA up into a thousand pieces and throw them in the air. And he said that, and that made them incredibly, incredibly mad. And under Alan Dulles, under Dulles, the, 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 one of the, the spookiest of the spooks, they were very, very, there's a very, very bad enemy to have. 
Yeah. yeah, no one wants to be told that they're going to be turned into confetti. <laughs> no, no. The FBI, the CIA, and the mafia. Yep. Oh! And that's not all. Extending from the CIA's animosity, JFK had also drawn the ire of Cuban exiles because of his failure to remove Castro from power during the Bay of Pigs invasion. And the Cuban exiles were all trained by the CIA. And they were all here in America and heavily armed and well-trained. If Think I, about this. You got full-on assassination groups. Operation 40, Alpha 66. They were in the southern United States of America. They were a mixture of wackadoos, CIA trainers, and just guys with guns that they had trained ready to go and invade Cuba. And they were ready. They had their fucking balls full of it. They're so <laughs> ready to go. And then JFK essentially fires all of them. And now you have these trained people that are upset with nothing to do, just in Texas, yeah, hanging out. just hanging out. <laughs> in Florida and Louisiana. New Orleans, yeah. that whole fucking network. You just have all these, like, straight-up guys that already are working outside the normal bounds of the government and law enforcement that are now just all blue-balled, and they got to do something with that energy. Yeah, indeed. They definitely need to shoot. So when it comes to him, if I was his chief, if I was JFK's chief of staff, I'd be like, you got to befriend someone. Just go down to a roller <laughs> rink and just get yourself a group of 15-year-olds that follow you. You need to have some friends in this world. Ben, he did have a friend. Who? The American people. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> because, well, not all of them. No, we'll, not we'll, all. We'll, we'll, yeah, yeah, actually, I'm pretty a lot sure of all are... of those people we just listed yeah. were also Americans. But, <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, the American public, sir. The Catholics. <laughs> Who were strong. Yeah, that's, yeah. Because he's also a Catholic. And so yes. the president has a boss then. The Pope. Then the president's well, got to go talk to the... We'll get to all that here all in a right. second yeah. before you start. I don't know if we can vote for this Kennedy guy, Henry. I think he's going to be led by the Pope. I think we got to get rid of this Kennedy. <laughs> if this whole thing concludes with us killing Kennedy. <laughs> well, finally... Kennedy was also de-escalating the war in Vietnam, which would have meant billions in lost profits to arms manufacturers like Lockheed Martin and chemical manufacturers like Dow, who made hundreds of thousands of tons of napalm for the government between 1965 and 1969. A lot of people made a paycheck off of Vietnam. Yep. Anybody that has a full water tower of napalm I try to, like, be a friend, too. Yeah. Try to take him out to coffee, drop some donuts by, being like, how's the napalm still, still contained? Great. <laughs> Great. We need to use that on somebody. Like, you start, <laughs> like, butting up to them, saying, like, all this napalm just sitting here is kind of going to waste. We should do something with that. And there, you had enemies five, six, seven, eight, nine, and so on and so forth, when you count all the businesses that were poised to make billions of dollars on the deaths of over 58,000 Americans and as many as two million Vietnamese civilians. <sighs> then there was the American public. Kennedy's election in 1960 was among the closest in history, but Kennedy pulled it off by narrowly defeating the man who served President Eisenhower as his VP for the previous eight years, Richard Nixon. It's because he was ugly. <laughs> you think so, huh? No, yeah. you, you know that. I know. Yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> no, Nixon just didn't want, he didn't want to be a pussy, so he didn't want to wear makeup. That's true. Yeah. He, and he Andrew, literally he didn't looked, want to wear makeup, and then he just looked like a sweating pig. Yeah, well, he, yeah, also, he looked like he shit. He shaved that day. He had five o'clock shadow. He yeah. literally thought television was a fad. 
he looked yeah, he looked like a man in trouble for something like he he owed money to a bookie you don't want a man sweating like he has the coronavirus on the, uh, national television during no. your first televised debate although no. interestingly enough people who listened over the radio mm-hmm. they said that Nixon won and Kennedy lost and then obviously vice versa when you get to see that beautiful mm-hmm. big Catholic head <laughs> but hey that's another enemy right there and sure. you do not want Richard Nixon as an enemy no he just sits and stews and stews <laughs> and stews hey man sometimes a small man has to sit and think because I'll tell you what I just uh-huh. one again Richard Nixon Lee Harvey Oswald, nothing makes a small person more upset than never being perceived as dangerous, which then makes you have to be extra dangerous. Extra, yes. Well, part of the reason why this election was so close was because even though JFK was a war hero with legislative experience, he was, as you two have already pointed out, Still a Catholic. And he's beholden to the Pope. (laughs) Yes. And some Americans did think that he'd be reporting to the Pope before reporting to the American public. Uh, Just one second here. Uh, Mr. Pope, can you stop having sex with all those kids? The President of the United States is on the line. (laughs) Uh, uh, Give me one minute. Oh, here you go. You take it alone or not? Better get out of here, you sweet. You like? You don't like this? You're, you're upset by this? That's the Pope. <laughs> that I mean, Henry is just articulating the reality of the world we live in. Just, just I'm making me. a gum. <laughs> He's making the gum. I don't know why the Pope sounds like that. But... I don't even know if the Pope was Italian at this point. I don't I even don't know. know if the Pope was alive. <laughs> we had a, a Pope. We had a Pope. That's what I've been told. <laughs> it was, oh, it was Johnny Rockets 1. <laughs> Love that guy. Great restaurant, Shane. Well, even though Kennedy's approval ratings were at 58% when he died, which is pretty good oh, as far as approval ratings go. Absolutely. The people who didn't like him absolutely loathed him. In addition to believing that Kennedy's religion was a liability, many also believed that he was a closet communist because he didn't take a hard enough stance against Russia and the other so-called red elements here at home. Mm. Well, the stuff that really fucked with him, especially on the inside, was that he had a, which was semi-secret, he had a backdoor channel to Khrushchev, and they were speaking to each other, trying to negotiate all these various massive, huge, uh, international things that they were, they set up at each other, and then they would kind of talk each other, and they were very, very mad that he didn't want to go and stomp out all the communists in Laos and all mm-hmm. the communists in Vietnam. He, they believed that any sort of coexistence was a failure versus the, just obliterating them. There's not nearly as much money in diplomacy as there is in war. God, no. <laughs> no. So that does not help him at all. Well, there weren't too many critics louder about JFK's supposed communist ties than the Dallas Morning News, Mm. which is still the biggest newspaper in the second largest state in the Union. Ah, The Dallas Morning News, it's messed up in many ways. Skip Bayless is the worst (laughs) sports commentator of all time. That's where you got to start. I've got a bone to pick with Dallas Morning News. Also, who wakes up early in Dallas? (laughs) I grew up reading the Dallas Morning News. It's there. It's a paper. Yeah, it's a paper. The Dallas Morning News printed biased article after biased article, vitriolic column after vitriolic column, so many that following the assassination, people called up the Dallas Morning News to ask them, are you fucking happy now? Jeez. 
because they thought that the Dallas Morning News was responsible for fomenting this hatred for the president. I mean, to be fair, they did have the headline Kennedy assassinated. But with an exclamation mark. And I <laughs> Kennedy assassinated. Kennedy assassinated, which I thought that was a little rude. Now back then, Texas was actually a blue state because the flip from Democrat to Republican by racist the country over due to the passing of the Civil Rights Act had not yet occurred. That was hmm. 1964. And of course, Nixon's Southern strategy had not yet been put into play. Hmm. That meant that Texas was going to be extremely important if JFK wanted to win re-election in 1964. So, in the autumn of 1963, the administration planned what was essentially an early campaign tour consisting of five Texas cities in two days. That is a lot of Texas cities in two days. Texas is freaking big. Every time we tour there, it's amazing how long you drive and you're still in Texas. They mm-hmm. were ripping through it, and this probably speaks to some of the weird security lags that were happening during his trip. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, San Antonio, Houston, and Austin weren't really seen as problem cities on JFK's tour. But Dallas-Fort Worth, with its contingent of right-wing Kennedy haters like General Walker, was seen as a highly dangerous place for the president. It was seen as such a risk that LBJ's planned speech for Austin was supposed to end with the line, and thank God, Mr. President, that you came out of Dallas alive. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, dude, it does seem like he was calling it. Yeah, did LBJ scratch it, though? Because he's like, that's way too serious because he's not going to come out of it alive? (laughs) Jesus Christ. You know LBJ, well, I don't want to say that he planned the whole thing while holding his cock pissing in the backyard of the White House, but... (laughs) He did do that a lot, and he came up with a lot of his ideas holding his own Johnson. Is it planning or is it magical thinking? I don't know. (laughs) But JFK saw these warnings as exaggerations, saying that no president should ever be afraid to visit an American city. And really, JFK was actually right, at least about the specific warnings he'd been given. See, the right-wing elements in Dallas were all talk and no action when it came to people actually in power, because right-wing extremists, such as, for example, Timothy McVeigh, are usually cowards who prey on easier targets. Bad company! (laughs) Bad company! Uh, But Timothy McVeigh also, you know, it's sending a message is what they were doing. It wasn't, that's the idea is that whatever you do, the explosion is supposed to do a thing that shows the world that you really mean what you're trying to do. But it's still preying on innocent people. Like of course. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's no uh, there's no real risk. You know, they're still killing, what, how many children? 23? Something like that? I'm going to say this. Enough. <laughs> they killed enough. And of course, listen to our Oklahoma City bombing series if you want to learn more about Timothy McVeigh and all the uh, mistakes and just fuckery that his life was. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that the right-wing element didn't try to intimidate the president. In preparation for the visit, one of General Walker's henchmen printed up an Old West-style reward poster featuring JFK's front and side profiles, along with the words, Wanted for Treason, and planned to hang the posters along JFK's parade route. Now, as uh, as a, a, a country with free speech, you should be technically allowed to do this form of art, right? It, it, you are threatening the president, but at the same time, you should be allowed to express themselves. It's just weird how when you... Everybody's all getting drummed up. You can feel the violence just building 
in the city. Like, just the violent thought in general is starting to get more and more intense. We're seeing it now more than ever. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it was a better time for the protest because you actually had to go to, to not even the Kinkos. I don't even know where the hell you print off a bunch of posters that say wanted for treason. You know, <laughs> you now you just printers. send them memes. Yeah, you just go to the printers. Yeah. But now you just send the memes. You sit on your couch. This guy had to get out there and find a, find a graphic designer. Before <laughs> yeah, graphic it's a whole thing. thing. You had to put the plates together. It's very, very intense. Now anybody could just call the president a fucking Cheeto and then they act like they're Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> That's hashtag brave, though. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and my own did everybody come around being like where'd you get that piece you beautiful woman and I was like stop talking to my wife she's spoken for you can see it with the blue Nile bling she's got on her right now get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com that's $50 off with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com bluenile.com one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. B 
Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. <laughs> now, when it came to that parade route, the majority of JFK security was ironically placed at the beginning of the planned path at Love Field and the end where JFK was supposed to make a speech at a huge convention center called the Trademart. Mm, and he so, really wanted to get to Love Field because of all those spread-eagled women that I guess are planted there? Yeah, I'm not sure why they <laughs> named it that, but... It's sure. named after a guy whose last name is Love. I would assume it oh, wasn't because okay, of the spread-eagled women that were planted there. You. Because also they Thank would you. just be dead and then... Yes, I know. Marcus, our audience is smart enough to know what Henry is telling a joke. They don't actually think it's like... Hugh Hefner's bizarre human garden. No, it was right actually across the street from uh, from Pussy Hole Grotto, which was uh, awful. And that was a Polish cemetery because what they do is they bury them with their butts outside of the soil because they also have a place to park their bikes. Come on, Are you uh, you happy with yourself, Henry? You- no. <laughs> I am mad. I'm mad at me. I, I I struggle all the time with the fury I have at myself. Uh, parking your bike inside of a corpse's butt, huh? What a show. <laughs> now, both Love Field and the Trademark were places that were wide open with little cover. So the Secret Service was focused on providing security for those two places. Mm. Although they probably did that because providing security in between those two places was almost impossible. See, the path between Love Field and the Trademark was a huge, circuitous trek through downtown Dallas, which would allow tens of thousands of Dallasites to see the president, but would also take him past hundreds of buildings and thousands of windows. Mm. And since the route was laid out in mid-November and the visit was planned for the 22nd, there wasn't enough time for the Secret Service to properly secure each and every building, and definitely not each and every window. It's interesting now because when you see a president come through town, as we've seen multiple times, like when Obama was in uh, California when we were there, they shut down half of the city. Yeah. If Trump mm-hmm. goes anywhere, they shut down half of the city. It is a colossal pain in the ass, but they are totally overcompensating almost for what happened here. Yeah. I feel like the president's more isolated than ever before. Now that they have, like, they got the beast, they got the beast stationed in various places. There's many different versions of the limo that's supposed to carry the president mm-hmm. around. It's stationed all over the country. They they don't, I don't think they have a lot of opportunities to go and actually touch the flesh nope. of the people. But that's what JFK wanted. He wanted to literally touch the people. They in the, When they came out of the plane, when they first landed at Fort Worth, they, people were literally on them, and they were, like, touching and, and old school, like, kissing babies, which they should not have let JFK done because no. that mouth was in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> know. It's not good. 
Well, besides that, no American president had ever been killed at a long distance at that point in history and had never even been shot at by anything other than a pistol. We'd had three presidents die uh, from the assassin's bullet. At Who that do we point. got? We got we got the Lincoln. We got Lincoln, Garfield and McKinley. Ah, that's right. McKinley. Yeah. You forget about McKinley, don't you? And Garfield was Killed on a Monday. Isn't that Ironically. sad? Isn't that weird? No, because they, it was a lot of, it was up close killings, right? Yeah, it was, it was that they were in a crowd and someone just puts a gun essentially in their belly and shoots them in the chest. Yeah, and uh, Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt had also been shot uh, and famously still gave the speech oh, yeah. afterwards. Uh, and Franklin Roosevelt was shot at, but the, uh, the assassin instead hit the mayor of Chicago who was standing right next to him, and the mayor of Chicago did die. Well, you know. And then, we, but we don't know. <laughs> <that's laughs> you fly too close to the sun you fly too close to the sun you might get shot uh and reagan was shot famously as well and he lived by uh hinkley and uh gerald ford was almost shot by squeaky from we all forget Whoa. about that one i always i don't i try not to but jfk <laughs> had a credible assassination attempt in chicago three weeks before this they already had they had stopped a guy with guns that was on his way to kill the president and had to stop so it, it is interesting to see how the, I, I it was in the air almost yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean getting killed from a long distance it was certainly a concern but there was not a precedent just yet mm. and concerning that route on November 19th, all the Dallas newspapers published a detailed map of the president's upcoming parade path to ensure that as many people as possible could find a spot to come see the president drive by. So stupid. They also did the, they made the same mistake with Reagan. Mm-hmm. They just, they were like, this is where he's going to be if you want to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people do actually think that the Dallas newspapers were encouraging things maybe a little bit Hmm. maybe it was the the free ammo night the (laughs) night before that was most suspicious i remember that whole series they did called imagine an america without kennedy (laughs) (laughs) well actually the day that kennedy got there the dallas morning news did print a story that said welcome president kennedy and when kennedy saw it he was actually like oh wow this is actually a nice surprise and then he found out it was sarcastic Ah, yeah it was a a full list of all the things that they hated him for and all the things that he'd done wrong okay But who should have their interest piqued by that parade map but Lee Harvey Oswald? Oswald! I mean, <laughs> you could, they did all of the research for him, right? Yeah. You know, he just had to look at it. And you know, in his, in his mind, he's like, I'm figuring this entire parade route out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, because they told you every single step of the way where he's going to be. <laughs> I tell you what I know is every move. I know every turn he's going to make. I know what car he's driving. And I know what he looks like. I've seen a picture of him several times today. <laughs> Wow, you're really good at this, huh? Yeah, yep, yes. (laughs) It's most likely that Oswald didn't even see the map until November 20th because Oswald only bought day-old newspapers because that's what he could afford. Day-old newspapers were cheaper. <laughs> so, yeah, dude. Then uh, you get there's that, something about that that's very sad. You get extra marinated news. Why well, yeah. get it when it just comes out? Get it a couple of days afterwards so you can really let it have time to sit. Sure, sure. I mean, I guess, though, probably plays into his idea of like being smarter than. Yeah. If you're course. always reading yesterday's news, you're like a time traveler. <laughs> I, know like, that. I know what happens. I know what happened yesterday, that's for certain. The amazing thing about this was that when you go off Lee Harvey Oswald's actions between November 20th and the assassination, we can surmise that he made the decision to kill the president 
over the course of roughly a day and a half. Mm. Now, it's only speculation at this point, but it's quite possible that Oswald would never have even thought about killing Kennedy had the motorcade not gone directly under his place of work. Yeah, if he had to travel, he wouldn't have been able to because he was fucking broke. He wow. was stacking books in a basement. He couldn't leave if he wanted to. The, the, assassin, the, assassin in, the assassin's target had to come to him. Yeah, he's just that lazy. And I'm sure we'll get to this in the conspiracy episodes and stuff, but he did just get this job. Yeah, about yeah, buddy. a month before. This is a this no, is pretty coincidental. About we'll get to that. I'm sure. This is the stuff that drives me fucking up the wall with reading this shit. Because eventually, you're just like, man, he literally just got the job at the sniper's nest. He yeah. got a job. It might as well have just been called the sniper's nest. <laughs> and it comes from Ruth Payne, and then the Paynes also have weird, murky family ties to the CIA. It doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense why there are so much so many coincidences mm. around this one dupe well it's not that big of a coincidence that he got a job at the texas school book depository he was a low-skilled worker getting a job in downtown dallas where there was a lot of low-skilled work happening and all you got to mm. do is have a tongue so you can lick all the books clean <laughs> <laughs> i mean you could say it's a huge gigantic wacky coincidence if you want but there are reasons behind every single thing that happened yes a million things happened had to go sure. right for this to happen. But none of them are wiggity-woogity. They all have a reason behind them. Well, we, in their own localized way. Right, we'll we will do this. We will do this that's in later true. episodes, Henry. That's well, true. I see the vein. Henry's conspiracy vein is popping. I can already see it. Be very I, careful. I, I'm getting a twitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into this later. But there are decisions that John F. Kennedy himself made. That Suicide. Had, that, <laughs> yeah, well, that's my theory. But there Suicide. were decisions that Kennedy himself made that made this thing happen mm. that had nothing to do with conspiracy. I, I think they really like me. <laughs> and again, it's also a matter of speculation as to his specific motivations. See, Oswald had gotten back into politics since his return to the U.S., briefly involving himself with the ACLU through Marina's friend, Ruth Payne. Mm. But Oswald quit the ACLU because he thought they didn't go far enough. So it is possible that Oswald returned to his old belief that violence was the only way to enact change. And what he believed to be one of the biggest representations of capitalism, John F. Kennedy, was about to make himself an easy target to a trained marksman like Oswald. The ACLU does all this boring shit, like go to court and do everything <laughs> through the system. That's really dumb. That's right. stupid. It takes too long. I fall asleep. You know what I think is nice? Just one bullet. It does a lot of talking for you. Yeah, but we're just, you know, we're the ACLU. We're trying to defend people. We have a lot of, we have poll taxes. We want to get people of color to be able to vote. Next thing, hey, you guys, you're doing poll taxes. Next thing you know, you're going to allow us to, you're going to allow us to marry donkeys. No, That's what not. you guys it's want. Just, it's about human beings. You guys want us to marry donkeys. No, we don't want you to marry. Why are you here I know exactly? What you want. <laughs> I am not sexually attracted to a donkey. I don't, we never I don't said that you were. How nice they are. I don't care what their smiles are like. I don't know how much fun we're having on the trail ride. I'm not going to marry a goddamn donkey. Mr. Oswald, do you want to have sex with a donkey, sir? Just get out of my way. I'm going to the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> or the motivation could have been nothing more complicated than a desire to make himself known. Mm. By killing a president, 
Oswald was ensuring himself a place in history, especially considering how popular JFK was at the time. But this is a great example of how difficult it is to judge how serious people are when it comes to hating a politician. Some people thought he was a communist. Mm -hmm. Oswald said he's the uh, pinnacle of capitalism. Well, it's like if you're Kennedy, you're like, what am I, a communist, a capitalist? You know, I mean, we know he's controlled by the Pope, but like, what else <laughs> is that? <laughs> but I, I wonder, I mean, that's why I'm saying, I. that's why I'm saying it, the boneheaded other motive of him trying to actually kill the governor but instead killing the president all in one go is a, it, it would be perfect well, for Os the low nut Lee Harvey Oswald to like yeah. for for his life to turn out like that. Yeah. To be fair, Oswald did not know it was Assassin's 2 for Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so he didn't know he was going to get a double shot. But also why wouldn't Lee Harvey Oswald come out and say that yes, I killed the president if all he wants is notoriety. He immediately said I'm a patsy. We'll get to this obviously. We'll get to but, all of it. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get to this uh on the next episode, but I definitely have my own opinions as to why Oswald started screaming, I'm a patsy, I'm a patsy, well, I didn't do this. I, 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 we'll get into it further, but I think it was uh, he highly regretted what he'd done. And I think oh, we... Oh, shit. I think we can <laughs> all... Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I think we can all safely say, though, Lee Harvey Oswald is not a patsy. He's definitely a Claire. <laughs> That's I, what I'm saying. I, 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 can, I see him as a Claire. <laughs> I see him as a, as a Deborah. Honestly. <laughs> well, most likely Oswald's motivation was a combination of the two. But since he never got a chance to speak, thanks to a schlubby nightclub owner who uh -oh. was really out to prove something. Oswald! You mean the most important man in this story? God damn. Jack Ruby? <laughs> he is. Uh, I, he's fascinating. Fuck! He ruined everything. For some, <laughs> ruined everything. Reason I, for some reason, I just got totally obsessed with him this week and just stared at him, listened to whatever I could. And God, he sucks. He's my <laughs> yeah, favorite. He's, because I'm going to be Jack Ruby in a biopic one day. I want to play Jack Ruby. I that love is it. A, it's a very funny side character who just j ruined history. <laughs> just ruined. Harvey Oswald. Like, uh, you know... Presidents and people like that, of that stature, they do get assassinated. I know it's weird to say, but it's a it's kind of a natural revolving mechanism inside of history with uh, fame and power and the remor the the parasites attached to that. Right, that's very classic. Jack Ruby, though, really created the gape that allowed how complicated these conspiracy theories happen because we don't have a real but culprit. All we have yep. is a theoretical culprit. He was never, he never went to trial. Mm -hmm. So, on November 21st, as JFK was speaking in San Antonio, Oswald was most likely scouting the best vantage point to kill the president from the book depository. And eventually, he settled on the far southeast corner of the sixth floor. This spot in particular was chosen because Oswald would be given a 10 to 15 second view of the back of the presidential limo, which would allow for multiple shots should he need them. Mm. And so, with the spot chosen, Oswald asked his co-worker, Buell Frazier, to drop him off at Ruth Payne's house, saying he needed to pick up some curtain rods for his apartment at the boarding house. But really... Oswald was going to Ruth's house that night to pick up the rifle stored in Ruth's garage, 
which was the same rifle Oswald had used earlier that year in the attempt to kill General Walker. These are my guns. I am a gun foster mom, (laughs) and I've been housing these unhoused guns until I can find the proper place for the guns for a field where they can run and play. Well, every gun needs a foster, don't they? Yeah, this little gun, this rifle right here, unfortunately, was deeply molested by its own. (laughs) That's not good. Nah. But there may have been a more complicated motivation behind this visit. See, that night, Oswald was atypically kind to Marina and the kids. And he told Marina that he wanted all of them to move back in together somewhere in Dallas. But Marina was already pissed at Oswald, because when she called the boarding house where he was staying a few days earlier, she discovered that he checked himself in under another dumbass alias. Ooh, what was it? Uh, Alec Cadell. Ah, yeah. right. <laughs> Which suggests... Dr. Winston Peanut. <laughs> and all this alias business suggested that Oswald was up to the same old bullshit that had led to his first assassination attempt. Because remember, he'd promised no killing General Walker. No more assassination attempts, I promise. <laughs> well, I promised that I wouldn't kill General Walker. <laughs> so oh, you're gonna legally you're gonna de- I'm good. Legally, pinky swear legal, pinky swear the court. Lee, I'm good. Lee, we have said no more assassination attempts, remember? No, 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 no. I said specifically General Walker. So when Oswald made the final plea to his wife for reconciliation, she declined. Now, this is against speculation, but a panel of three psychologists told the Warren Commission that had she said yes that night, Oswald might have backed out of his plan. She still made the right decision <laughs> saying no. Yes, she I did. know it led to the death of JFK, <laughs> but if I'm Marina, no is the answer. No is the times. answer. And the Warren Commission, which we'll fucking get to, where it's almost like they're putting the blame on Marina, like another sort of distancing effect. Actually, the Warren Commission declined to include this in the report. Hmm. Intriguing. Mm-hmm. Now, this is only one of a hundred what-if moments when it comes to the assassination, because it boggles the mind when you realize just how many small things had to fall into place for the president to wind up dead on November 22nd, 1963. And I'm just talking the day of the assassination, Mm. not even all the shit that had to happen in the lead-up to the assassination. Now, around the same time that the Oswalds were fighting over Lee's alias in Dallas, the Kennedys were having a nice dinner at their hotel in Fort Worth. Horribly, this was the first event First Lady Jackie Kennedy had tagged along for since JFK had become president. Oh. And they were actually having a pretty nice time. She didn't bring up the affairs on this dinner? (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm certain that they came up pretty often but i you know it's a big pressure trip so yeah. maybe they allowed one night where let's let's pretend there's happiness here great <laughs> but while they were dining and having a conversation with then vice president lyndon johnson about the intricacies of texas politics oswald was disassembling his rifle and slipping the pieces into a brown paper bag along with four bullets 
All uh, the bullets he had left. I would love to be a fly on that wall when LBJ is like, so we got some people who hate the Mexicans. There's some people who don't <laughs> like the black people. Now we have some people who are white people. Some are tall. Some are short. <laughs> so this is the intricacies, intricacies, intricacies of Texas politics. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. I didn't realize people in Texas had legs. Yeah. Yes, indeed they do. <laughs> On November 22nd, JFK had one hell of a day planned. It would start with a talk at his hotel in Fort Worth, followed by a short flight to Love Field in Dallas. From there, he'd take the motorcade to the trademark, give another speech, go back to the airport, fly to Austin, take another motorcade, and give another speech at dinner. God, I would love to hear Chris Farley describe this <laughs> like he was the Wayne's World character yeah. when he's trying to describe how you get to Mr. What is it, Mr. Big? Mr. Big, yeah. Mr. Big. Yeah. Back to Chicago. Back to Back Chicago. to the Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and as the Kennedys were landing in Dallas that morning, JFK reportedly turned to Jackie and told her that they were heading into nut country that day. Ooh. Oh, that's what he told Marilyn, too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we just crossed the border. Well, uh, Yikes. Welcome Yikes. back to the morning zoo. It's time to get the lead out. Seriously, get the lead out of the paint in the schools. <laughs> See, I don't like low nuts. I think you got to group all your nuts together like they did here in Dallas and make it some form of assassination bukkake. Yes. <laughs> and when Jackie showed concern, her husband told her that if somebody wanted to shoot him from a window with a rifle, nobody could stop it. So why worry? This is when you got to add everything. You got to put a lull, raffle. Like, you just got to be like, that's good. Well, Funny. JFK was famously very fatalistic because he spent his life in a great deal of pain. Yes. That is like one psychological profile of him that I was reading is that because of his back issues and that the shit that he dealt with when he was in World War II, he, he literally lived in, in horrible pain all the time. And so for him, that was a part of what all the the skirt chasing and all the other stuff was too, is that he always pledged to live his life every day like it's the, like it's the last so he would kind of do whatever crossed his mind all the time. And he was just straight up like, if they're going to shoot me, they should go ahead and do it now because yep. my back hurts. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is, you can't really see it with the grainy footage, but there's a bunch of Oxycontin that actually comes out of his brain because <laughs> uh, that man was hopped up. Boy, Texas Speed is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs in a whole bunch of cha. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST. 
Plus 24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, hours before the Kennedys landed in Dallas, Lee Harvey Oswald was the first to wake up in Ruth Payne's house. He went to the kitchen, made himself a cup of coffee, and left $170 in cash on top of Marina's dresser before taking off his wedding ring and dropping it in a porcelain cup she'd brought with her from Russia. Oswald then walked a half block over to Frazier's house, carrying the disassembled rifle and the paper bag he'd brought for specifically this purpose 
so he could get a ride to work. I mean, I can't believe he went over to Fraser's house, interrupted him when he was having a nice breakfast with Miles. And uh, you, you know how evil I do. Just Fraser's ex-wife was a lot. <laughs> I tell you what, if you spend some time in Russia, you would figure out what to do with those tossed salad and scrambled eggs you eat. <laughs> because it's difficult when you have to have the food rations. And I'm, I'm already mad at you, Fraser. I'm already mad. If you want to do a deep dive on our adult streams that we do for Adult Swim, uh, the Fraser episode, the Kelsey Grammer episode, that we could just do an episode on Kelsey Grammer, <laughs> but we did it on the stream, so I'm sure you can find that somewhere. Well, as far as Fraser was concerned, the package that Lee Harvey Oswald was carrying contained the aforementioned curtain rods, so he didn't really question it. Okay. But when they got to the depository, Oswald quickly walked ahead of Frazier, which was strange because Oswald never did that. But Oswald was kind of a weird guy anyway, so Frazier didn't really think much of it. I tell you what, I had that happen to me recently at an audition. Uh, not to brag. <laughs> did you get the part? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Henry, getting the audition is not something to brag about. Yeah, Everyone easy. gets auditions. Yeah, yeah, I could get an audition. I'm not an actor. No, you Have you ever seen Instagram? Getting auditions is definitely a thing to brag about. That is what <laughs> every actor's Instagram is. But I uh, I had somebody, uh, it was me, I was getting into the lobby, going to the elevator. Guy looked at me. He definitely did the thing where he looked at me and then, tight butt. Hustle walked <laughs> to the elevator just to get it in, get in there before me, and he closed the door. He hit the button to get in there before me, closed it. And I was like, "What the fuck's your problem? You're here to kill <laughs> yeah, the fucking president?" No, no. If oh my god, I look at that man. That man has the perfect body to be a human minion. <laughs> oh, I better hurry up. I better hurry up. Piggly Wiggly is only hiring ten minions this year for their Christmas. Christmas is in February theme. It's a fucking great gig. It's a whole month of minion work. That's huge. Well, once Oswald got inside the book depository, he walked up the stairs to the sixth floor, assembled his rifle, hit it, and started his and started his day at work as if he wasn't planning on killing the president in four hours' time. Damn. And unfortunately, Kennedy made it easy. Now, it could have been hubris, or it could have been JFK's cavalier attitude towards death. But even though the Secret Service begged Kennedy to ride in the limo with its protective plastic covering, JFK refused. He was there on a campaign trip, and there really wasn't much of a point if people couldn't see him and his pretty wife. And he was viewed as an untouchable rich boy with his super glamorous wife, who was now a fashion icon, became so immediately. And so the idea is to, he wanted to appear to be a common person and be able to connect to the common people. Yeah, but you know, the thing is that as a common person that kind of tips me off and maybe makes me think that person's not common is the motorcade, right? Yeah, um, because I think the fact that you're president. <laughs> yeah, you're president. Yeah, yeah. Just, I am a man that flattens dough at a pizza shop. That's all I do. <laughs> I'm a common person. Right, right, right. You are I mean, I think that JFK might have missed the mark a little bit on that. Maybe. Yeah. Now, it seemed as if the Secret Service was going to get their wish anyway because it had been raining in Dallas before the president's arrival. But as the president landed in Love Field, the skies cleared and the sun began to shine. It's almost like God was whispering, today's the day. <laughs> get him. Do get him. It. Do it. Pull the Turns out God is Protestant. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> A big city has been told to be on its good behavior today, and we're it. 
From Dallas Love Field, the Dallas-Fort Worth area broadcasters bring you a special description of the arrival of President John F. Kennedy. At this moment, three special jetliners are supposed to be in the air between Dallas and Fort Worth. They were scheduled to take off a few moments ago from Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth for the brief flight to Dallas. Mr. and Mrs. Kennedy and their official party began their Texas tour yesterday morning when they departed Washington. From there, they have visited Houston, San Antonio, then on to Fort Worth, where they spent last night. If time allows, we'll bring you up to date on their stops at uh, those three previous points. But right now, the eyes of Texas and the nation are focused on Dallas. I do love that the newsman was just like, be on your best behavior, and someone in Dallas was like, all right, I guess I'll take this boot off my head, stop butt-chugging this whiskey. It's a good day. I'm going to be on my best behavior. What was going on in Dallas where this man had to preface everything like they were in kindergarten? Oh, damn it. You mean to tell me we can't... I can't throw cornbread at the police today? Come on. Well, I I read uh, in this book, uh, Dallas 1963, uh, that it's fucking great. Uh, It kind of it tells the story of like what Dallas was like uh, in uh, the time that Kennedy came and uh, visited. And I think in the week leading up to it, uh, there were quite a few murders. Uh, it's a fun place. I mean, I'm not. No, we love. Obviously, we love Texas. Obviously, obviously. But it, it, it's a. It was a tense time for the entire country. This is a very mm-hmm. high stress point yeah. for our our global position. And because JFK managed to keep in his short time as president, he dealt with massive international incidents and and yeah. was a cold warrior in the mix of all this and our country was just like at each other's fucking throats with mm-hmm. all the civil rights shit going on it's it's it was a hard time it was Absol- a hard time to be president would not not an enviable position to be in mm-hmm. very difficult well as far as the president's limo went jackie and jfk were in the back seat with the president on the right and the first lady on the left in front of them sitting in folding jump seats were Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife, and in front of them was a Secret Service agent driving and another riding on the passenger side. And speaking of the Secret Service, here's another little quirk of history that seemed to shape things in favor of Lee Harvey Oswald. The night before the parade, most of the Secret Service had gone out for a heavy all-night drunk in Fort Worth. Woo! <laughs> yeah, buddy. I, Dude, but- you imagine, though, just being like Henry and I are just at our local tavern, and we're just being assholes. And all of a yep. sudden, the Secret Service comes in, and we're just being our normal assholes, and they just start flashing their guns. And then, and then <laughs> at Can some I point, shoot a gun? Should we shoot it? At some point, they're just like, boys, why don't you eat as much queso as you can in front of us? And we're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You got it, city boys. <laughs> they, uh, I don't know if that's uncommon. What they did, the all night no. drunk when they would be on tour, because you know you got to let off a lot of steam. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of attention to detail all day. There was a recent scandal. I believe it was under Obama. Yeah, it was a, under it was Obama. In Puerto Rico, and it was there was some place. They had a good. I think it was Colombia. Yeah, yeah, they had yeah, fun. Yeah, they they went out and got pretty fucked up. Yeah. But on that day, the Secret Service returned around the time the sun was coming up, Ugh. which means that the president's Secret Service detail on November twenty second was at the very least. Brutally hungover, they call if us sec- not still half drunk. They call us the Secret Service because we are secretly intoxicated every time we go to work. <laughs> Sometimes it helps your job to be brutally hungover. When? As a comedian, I have said this several times, and unfortunately, and I do believe this to be true, sometimes I'm funnier when I'm hungover yeah. versus totally, completely like being a good boy. 
Yeah, I will admit sometimes some of the best shows that uh, we've had uh, on tour uh, have been when all three of us are very hungover. Yeah, because you have to you have to do 110%. Otherwise, it's all going to fall. You're just going to fall asleep on stage. <laughs> That's the idea. It's like the way, it's the way Natalie keeps trying to tell me that I need to try aerials. Where she's like, oh, you have to try it because, she, no, the, when you crawl up to the top of the ropes, the fear makes you have to be good at it. And I was like, I, I don't know. No, It's a no. 20-foot drop. Yeah, no, you're a ground person. I'm a ground man. Never take Natalie's advice. She's athletic and strong. You just stay down. Yeah, because she's not going to love my attitude if I'm in a real chair. No, definitely not. (laughs) I would say that this is a job where being hungover is probably a bad idea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Furthermore, JFK told the Secret Service to back off even further. See, usually when the president rode in an open limo, Secret Service agents would ride on the running boards and the back bumper. But again, JFK said that having a bunch of agents crawling all over his car would make him look less approachable. Had these... Yeah, men- it, but it, literally, yes. He is overcompensating for something that already makes him 100% not approachable. Mm-hmm. It's a motorcade. Had these men been there, any one of them could have ruined Oswald's line of sight, or at the very least, could have been close enough to shield the president after the first shot. And so, horribly vulnerable to any and all assassins who might want to do him harm, whether they be in a building or in the crowd on street level, JFK departed from Love Field for a 10-mile, 45-minute drive. The gunmetal gray limousine, blue and gray, pulling away now from the fenced area. The president and Mrs. Kennedy seated on the back seat. Governor and Mrs. Connolly on the second seats or jump seats. And then the official driver and secret service men are in the front seat. And uh, immediately behind them, another car swarming with the secret service. Car making its way through the rain puddles left by this early morning rain. And all of the other vehicles in the official motorcade are now falling into line. And the trip to downtown Dallas and the trademark is underway. And that concludes this news report from Assassin's News Network. All the information you need to know if you want to assassinate the president. I do miss old journalist voice. Mm -hmm. But I can also see, like, someone, you know, licking a sharp knife. I can see someone with a bow and arrow. I can see a Native American man just getting ready to murder JFK. I can just see ten different assassins getting ready to go after this dude. Or they're just pumping up those CIA. They're just pumping up the CIA guy hiding behind the grassy knoll all day. You know how hot that must have been, just hanging out underneath that that lump of grass. Or and you got the umbrella and you're sitting there waiting for it, going, "Gotcha!" Opening it up, "Gotcha!" 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 Good lord. Now, prior to the book depository, JFK's parade was actually a wild success. JFK's political instincts had been correct even if his safety instincts weren't. And the ugliest incident involved a man holding a sign that said, quote, I hold you, JFK, and your blind socialism in complete contempt. 
which is a lot for a poster. And it's <laughs> very articulate. Very articulate for a poster. And no, he actually did at a couple of points, like, get out of the car, go, like, there were a bunch of kids that held up a sign that said, like, kids for Kennedy. And he went out and he shook their hands. Oh, like, my God. With any luck, he was like, thank you, CIA. How'd you know these? Are, this is a pedophile ring. And I know it. And my brain isn't ruined. But you know JFK was like, oh, kids for Kennedy. I didn't know we were doing this out in the open now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These are for me. <laughs> this is great. Interesting. But he also saw a pack of fucking nuns that he said hello to. Mm-hmm. Which That's is fine. fine. That's fine. He's fucking Catholic. All right. <laughs> it's just a group. A pack of fucking nuns. What's wrong? It's just a group of old nuns. You know, a um, a group of nuns is actually called a scourge of nuns. <laughs> <laughs> then came the corner of Maine and Houston, the book depository, and Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh-oh. Ironically, this was the point in the trip in which everyone figured the president was safe because just a little over a 100 people were gathered in and around Dealey Plaza. All they had to do was drive underneath the Stimmons Freeway and then they'd be on their way to the trademark. And since the crowd had thinned out, the televised coverage of the event had ended a few blocks earlier. Luckily, though, as the president neared, a clothing manufacturer named Abraham Zapruder got up on a concrete pedestal so he could film the president driving past. Mm. And as the president turned on Houston Street, Oswald was on the sixth floor, rifle in hand and waiting for the president to turn down Elm Street. In another stroke of luck, it just so happened that JFK was driving past the depository during lunchtime, which meant that the sixth floor was cleared out apart from Oswald and his rifle. None of this was on purpose. None of this was orchestrated by the CIA. I, I, I know, obviously, it wasn't, but still, it's just like, damn. It wasn't. I mean, it was a parade route, for fuck's sake. The CIA huh? didn't make the parade route, CIA, nor did the CIA decide when fucking lunchtime is. Have you ever seen the CIA float in lunchtime or great? Have you ever <laughs> see, have you ever heard of those guys? They were, first of all, incredible what they could get together in a small period of time. They could make a gigantic... A goldfish bowl made of paper mache filled with explosives. <laughs> now, one of the big questions people have is why Oswald didn't take the shot on JFK while he was driving down Houston Street directly in front of Lee Harvey Oswald, which would have given Oswald a straight shot toward the president and would have arguably been easier. But the answer is simple. Remember, even with the dishonorable discharge, Oswald was still a trained Marine, and he knew that taking the shot with JFK coming directly toward him would have immediately exposed his position to the Secret Service. And even so, people did see Oswald with the rifle through the sixth floor window, but it never crossed their mind that he was an assassin. Instead, they thought that he was a Secret Service agent there to protect the president, which... The Secret Service does, they do post snipers yeah. all the fucking time. And of the course. people who saw Oswald up there was like, actually, one of the people who saw him, he turned to his wife and said, hey, you want to see a Secret Service agent? Right up there. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And so, after the limo turned on Elm and both the president's back and the backs of the Secret Service agents were facing the depository, Oswald slid the barrel of his rifle through the open window and took aim. And in one of history's most famous lines, Governor Connolly's wife turned around to JFK and said, Mr. President, 
you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. Now concerning Oswald's rifle and how accurate it was supposed to be, we actually got some rare positive feedback from a gun-owning listener named Craig. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Arms Craig. (laughs) (laughs) He said that the accuracy criticism of the Carbono rifle is actually a myth because the people who said the rifle was inaccurate were using the wrong size bullets. Mm. See, most people in America who bought Italian surplus Carbonos like Oswald did made their own bullets. What? It's a different time, buddy. No, my my dad made bullets all the time when I was a kid. It's a com- among hunters and yeah, gun bu- enthusiasts, what? making bu- making your own bullets is a fun and easy and cheap way to keep yourself armed. Are you telling what? me that wasn't a different time? Are you still eight <laughs> years old? Are we doing this as children? Are we rugrats? That was, it was a different time. Is this like in the line of fire when what's his name made the gun uh. out of wood? <laughs> That no. was a cool movie. No, you yeah. make your own bullets. You buy the shell casings, you buy the pellets, you buy the gunpowder, and you make it yourself. Yeah, it's when but, you go to the store that allows you to do everything the hard way so you no longer have to talk to your family. <laughs> this is the most <laughs> hipster shit I've heard from really out of Texas. It really is. <laughs> Artisanal bullets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> However, the American standard and the Italian standard for the type of bullet used in this type of rifle were ever so slightly different. The Italian one had a little clown's nose on it. <laughs> yeah, you get it. It's one of those bunga bunga bullets. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, the bunga bunga room. I forgot about the bunga bunga Berlusconi, room. I believe he's still in jail. The American standard for this type of rifle is .02 inches smaller than the Italian, which Mm. doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when it comes to bullets firing out of a gun, that small difference completely fucks up the bullet's trajectory. Is this your pillow talk for Carolina? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not a gun guy. I'm going off of what Craig the gun-owning listener said. (laughs) Lee Harvey Oswald most likely bought Italian surplus bullets along with his Italian surplus rifle, giving the Carcano excellent ballistic coefficiency, which means the bullet doesn't drop too much, great sectional density, which means the mass is distributed well, and very little kickback after each shot. Ooh, Hmm. you can just hear the erections of all the gun nuts that listen to us. And we love, (laughs) I love your Second Amendment rights. Furthermore, Oswald had been trained in the Marines to hit targets from two, three, four hundred yards away using nothing but fixed iron sights, and he was able to do it well according to the records. On November 22nd, however, his target was no more than a hundred yards away, Mm. and Oswald had the added advantage of a scoped rifle. What all this adds up to is that Lee Harvey Oswald, perched in a stable sniper's nest with a deadly and accurate rifle, a clear line of sight, and training from the United States Marines, was well within means to murder the president. Mm. There's a lot of people that also have run these tests, right, to try to say that this was, it would be difficult to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes, he was not a G.I. Joe. Like, he is not the ultimate super soldier, and it would be difficult to do. Right. But in moments of stress... Uh, like when when you are doing something that means quote unquote a lot to you, right? Like look at uh, Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, I was gonna say actually, Henry, <laughs> this would be a good time to do a sports reference because they're under a lot of stress. They have to achieve in uh, in Bonilla. moments of very quick moments. 
he's got to hit the ball, right? But and now, what was a Bobby? Do you have a Bobby Bonilla? Like, what was the moment of stress where he had to hit the ball? Do you recall? What or? team you, did Bobby Bonilla play for? The New York Mets. He knew the Mets. <laughs> I know the Mets. Um, but it was something. It was like the the. 12th inning and it was a Thanksgiving Day game. I, I don't remember. Um, but the idea is that sometimes with all the stress and all the, but also the momentum of the of the feeling of the moment, you can rise to the occasion and make a, almost like a buzzer beater shot and kill the president. He definitely did that. No, I mean, the stress changes a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But even so, Oswald's first shot missed. The bullet hit a limb on a big oak tree in front of the book depository. It fragmented, struck a street curb, and sent a concrete chip flying, which hit a man named James Tague in the cheek. You say missed. I say brilliantly hit a man in the cheek. (laughs) (laughs) Now at this point, the driver should have gunned it, but nobody thought that the noise they just heard was a gunshot. Everyone, from Jackie Kennedy to the people in the crowd, thought that a car had backfired somewhere. So when Oswald saw that he hadn't hit anything, he pulled back the bolt, ejected his first bullet, and loaded the second in one fluid motion. The same motion he'd been practicing over and over on his front porch for months. Got to put your hours in. That's what that shows. I don't want to learn lessons from him, but practice is very important. It is. You know, but with Lee Harvey Oswald, I would say uh, this is the realization of that quote about luck. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Sure. Whoa. <laughs> Marcus Honestly, went there. It is cool. He went, went there. I went there. And I, I also you... live my life by that motto. Okay. Oh. 2.7 seconds after the first shot, Oswald aimed for JFK's head and took the second. This one struck Kennedy in the upper back, just to the right of his spine. It then exited at a downward angle at his lower throat, continued into Governor Connolly's back, exited Connolly's chest, hit his wrist, and lodged in his thigh. This was the so-called magic bullet. In a bit of misinformation that was unfortunately taken as fact because of Oliver Stone's JFK movie, conspiracy theorists claim that in order for the bullet to do all that damage, it would have had to stop in midair and change direction to hit both men in all the places it did. But again, these people are going off assumptions. They assume that Governor Connolly was sitting directly in front of JFK in a seat at the exact same height as the president. However, Connolly and his wife were sitting in folding jump seats that were not a permanent part of the presidential limousine, which, you know, that was even mentioned in the local news report that we heard earlier. That yeah, they were sitting in little baby chairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That meant that the governor was sitting lower than the president and slightly left of his center. Furthermore, the governor was turned around in his seat, facing the president. This actually helps prove that Oswald fired this shot because, from a trajectory standpoint, the second bullet to hit JFK could have only come from the book depository. Hmm. Furthermore, this bullet actually did exactly what it was designed to do. Because it was army surplus, this bullet was encased in a full metal jacket. See, before the Geneva Convention of 1922, 
Bullets were designed to enter the body and bounce around internally, doing as much damage as possible, or fragment once they entered. Yikes. Or like or or they were soft, right? And they would get stick into the body and, and lodge and become incredibly infected. The old olden times, especially during the Civil War, was more often for you to die of infection mm-hmm. than from blood loss or anything like that. The old pinball bullet. Yeah. The point was to kill the other person. But full metal jacket bullets are designed to pass through bodies whole and only wound their targets, which takes them off the battlefield but has a less chance to be fatal. And this was exactly the type of bullet used by Lee Harvey Oswald. Then, as Governor Connolly sat bleeding, screaming that they were going to kill them all, and as JFK sat bleeding out, at the very least already paralyzed, the third shot came and struck JFK directly in the head. The right rear side of his skull exploded, sending skull fragments, blood, and brain matter several feet into the air, covering Jackie Kennedy's face and clothing in gore. Between shot one and shot three, 8.4 seconds had elapsed. But where did that third shot come from, Marcus? We don't know yet. Not gonna talk about it yet. Hold on. Let me listen to We Didn't Start the Fire one more time by Billy Joel and see if he has the answer for me. There's a lot to say. There's still a lot to say. Oh, yeah. Now, Jackie understandably panicked. She turned around, kneeled on the limo seat, and reached back towards the trunk of the car to try and retrieve a piece of her husband's skull that had been blown off by the exit wound. It's like when I drop a beer and then I go down to the ground and I try to put the beer back into the can, but it doesn't go back in the can. (laughs) Number one, nothing like that. Number two, that's the saddest (laughs) shit. That is so sad. Are you just getting on your knees and sucking Bud Light? From the ground? (laughs) No, but this scene, I know we're very desensitized as a people, but this scene still breaks my heart. It's awful. It's so sad. Well, talk about what a... They talk about the trauma that came out of this moment. And I think a lot of the, the, the trauma that came out of the assassination of JFK was a bunch of people that had never been to war, that the closest thing that they had seen to anything... Like, I mean, honestly, the movie Psycho, I'm not sure when the movie Psycho came out, but that was like... A, the, one of the first moments of true, brutal, on-screen violence. So people really hadn't seen a lot of violence. But then you start watching the Sapruder film over and over and over again. If you're a proper podcaster, you're watching it every time you wake up. And the, the violence of his head fucking exploding mm. is shocking. It yeah. is, especially for the time period. You watch the whole chunk of the side of his head just flop open God. and everybody just covered in brain matter in a way, you know, like I love seeing it in a movie. I applaud when I see it in, in a, a movie film. now. But yes, we are deeply desensitized to what that meant to a 1963 audience, like just watching brain matter get splattered everywhere. Well, the Zapruder film wasn't seen in public until 1970. If Tom Savini, cre- if Tom yeah. Savini created that special effect, we would all be like, "That's nominated. That's that's Oscar contention for special <laughs> effects." But the fact that Savini had nothing to do with it, my God, 
Well, as Jackie Kennedy was crawling back towards her husband's brain matter, Secret Service agent Clint Hill lunged forward and pushed the First Lady back into the limo. This action probably saved the day from being even more tragic, because had Jackie not been secure when the limo finally sped off, she most likely would have tumbled to the ground and been run over by the car behind them. Mm. Now, concerning why JFK jerks backwards upon being hit by the third bullet, despite the shot coming from behind, what we're actually seeing in the Zapruder film is three different scientific processes working together to create one seemingly incongruous action. Oh, yeah, Shill? Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, science, ha- Shill? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, oh science oh, yeah? is such a shilly business, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I don't take vaccinations. <laughs> Because science, more like, you're lying to me. It's lions. It's lions. I I forget. First, when the bullet destroyed the cortex in JFK's brain, it caused a neuromuscular spasm, which made his body stiffen and contract upward and to the rear. Or, as Jim Garrison so famously put it, back and to the left. There is a technical term for what happens to JFK's body when he gets shot through the back. It's a nerve reaction that causes the hands to shoot up akimbo to his body, and you see the palms touch underneath his chin. If you watch the Zapruder film, you see him do this, and there's hmm. a moment where you see Jackie try to push his arm down, when she doesn't realize the second shot's going to come, or Ooh. the headshot's going to come. She's trying to push his arm down, and you see them kind of snap back up. Yeah, that's how we know that JFK, even if he would have survived this, he would have been paralyzed for the rest of his life. And if you want to let us know a little bit of insight on that, side story is lpotl at gmail.com and uh, shoot us an email and Henry and, I, Henry and I will talk about it on side story. Yeah. Second, JFK, as Henry said, lived with excruciating back pain every day of his life owing to an injury he suffered in World War II. Because of this, he was wearing a back brace when he was shot which is what kept JFK from falling forward. And third, perhaps most gruesomely, the backwards motion comes from the bullet exploding out of JFK's skull. When the right side of his head essentially burst from the exit wound, the kinetic energy thrust his head backward, which makes it seem as if the bullet comes from JFK's right. And of course, what was to JFK's right but the infamous Grassy Knoll. The Grassy Knoll! <laughs> and I will say, it's a, it's a cute spot. We went, we had a chance yeah. to go there when we were in Dallas, and we're going to be in Texas again for our book tour. Cannot wait to see you all there. Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating to think about what happened in that area. As cars just drive by, it's, I mean, there's a no, small X no. that marks the spot, but it's just Marcus a- and I ran in and out of traffic to get our fun little tourist pictures over there. That you know, it does it does seem to make people upset. Yeah, no, I had I had enough respect for the commuters of Texas to look at it, say, huh, and then leave. <laughs> no, we did the yata. We did like BTS faces in front of the X. Yeah. But even though the Secret Service knew that the president was far beyond saving, they still had to try. So the limo drove at a speed of 80 miles per hour to nearby Parkland Hospital. Meanwhile, news of the shooting had already broke. Here's a clip from local station KLIF reporting what they already knew even before the president was declared dead. Very briefly recapping, there has been an assassination attempt in downtown Dallas. Shots 
presidential speech. All of these security precautions that have been taken, and now this happens. And uh, the police are converging on and surrounding the area of Allen and Houston, the old Texas School Book Exchange building, where they believe they may have trapped the uh, would-be assassin. We'll bring you further details momentarily. Turn on and put mobile news unit number 4, 1190, and out. There's something about newscasts of that time that makes it seem like he's also covering like the world's biggest cotton candy ball. Like there's, there's a level of like it, I know it's, not, it's just the way it sounds. It's the but same it's, intensity it's for the same everything. intensity. Yeah, there's yeah. no like no like it's sense of morning. It's a marvel of human ingenuity. It's an entire home. It built. In the shape of a shoe. People can live inside of it. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, how it must stink. <laughs> Meanwhile, as the limo sped toward Parkland, Jackie Kennedy was living an absolute nightmare. Blood was pooling in the footwells of the limo's floor, and Jackie was trying over and over to hold down the top of her husband's head with one hand while she held his brains in the other. Oh, God, that's so sad. Yep. Finally, 10 minutes after the shooting, they arrived at Parkland, but Jackie wouldn't let her husband go, telling the Secret Service they knew he was dead, so what the fuck was the point? And when they finally got him to the trauma room, they found that she was almost right. He had no blood pressure and wasn't breathing, but there was still the faintest heartbeat, so doctors did the best they could to try to save the president. Meanwhile... The shocked and presumably still hungover Secret Service agents put a hardtop on the limo to prevent pictures and began washing blood and brain out of the back seat with a sponge and a bucket of water. While everybody's screaming at them, essentially saying, you're ruining evidence. You're ruining Mm. the crime scene while you're doing this. But they were so worried about people taking pictures into the cab and for some kind of exploitive newspaper so that they covered everything up or was something else afoot it's hard enough to be hung over at work you want to get <laughs> you, you you always feel mildly nauseous you know yeah, that's always yeah. kind of in the back of your throat and then just look at all that bla- brain matter and blood it must have while they were doing that jackie kennedy made her way into the trauma room and nudged one of the doctors when he turned around he saw that jackie was holding part of the president's brain cupped in her hands uh, and how insane that must have been to turn around and you see jackie o spattered in blood oh with God. a pillbox hat on with a, a handful of brains in her hands completely in shock she handed it to the doctor oh. possibly thinking they could put it back in his fucking head somehow she had she had no clue what of was course going she on. was yeah. totally in shock yeah but it was far too late at 1 p.m on november 22nd 1963 john fitzgerald kennedy was declared dead and when a nurse offered mm. to help Jackie wash some of the gore from her pink dress, she defiantly refused, saying that she wanted the world to see what Dallas had done to her husband. One hour and 38 minutes later, she was standing next to Lyndon Johnson on Air Force One at LBJ's insistence as he was sworn in as the 36th president of the United States. We got a very interesting listener email from a, uh, a series of interviews they did with the pilot of Air Force One mm. during this time period. And they said LBJ and his crew came in essentially laughing and celebrating about what was going on and demanded to go to Washington right then. 
uh, saying they wanted to go get they they basically wanted to get on the road to getting back to Washington. LBJ is president. The Air Force One said, "No, I came in here with JFK. I'm leaving with JFK," and they had to go and remove a bunch of seats and put him in there. And they literally swore him in right next to his body in the same airplane. And if you want to see the picture, it tells a, a million stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, LBJ's reaction was less than mournful. Well, L- LBJ couldn't stand JFK. No, he hated yes. JFK. Yeah. They ran a very contentious primary against each other. And the reason that he was the VP was to get Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's... And there man. was also talk and this that... Is where all the, this is where you love to say, qui, qui bono. This is where, <laughs> qui bono. We'll get qui into bono, the LBJ yes. conspiracies, yeah. but those yeah. to me seem... They hold a little bit of water, given his like lack of concern. Well, LBJ was also planning on uh, running against JFK in the nineteen sixty four election. He was going to break the ticket, uh, or at least I mean that's what they the, hated. That's each what other. the rumors. Yeah, they absolutely despised each yeah. other. You can also remember JFK literally could have done anything if he lived. He could have. Ju- he literally could have taken his shit in a bucket and said, "I have a new general here. It's in this bucket." <laughs> like who knows? He could have went insane. You know, he's you know anything could happen to that year. Yeah. And when a group of Dallas businessmen worried about the effect the assassination would have on commerce in the city later contacted Jackie Kennedy, asking her to sign a testimonial to Dallas hospitality. Oh, my. Seriously? She declined to respond. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Lee Harvey Oswald was on the run. And that's where we'll pick back up for part four of JFK with the capture and eventual assassination of Lee Harvey Oswald at the hands of nightclub owner Jack Ruby. Oswald! Oswald! Wow. Awesome. Well, that is, I mean, not awesome what happened, but an unbelievable, unbelievable true American story. Yeah. So we are now, this is the midpoint of our six-part series. It's going to be six, looking like it. It has to be. We're we're telling the story as thoroughly as we can with the quote-unquote facts that we have. So right now, (laughs) this is... quote-unquote facts. We're talking, we're doing quite a few actual facts. Oh, these next three episodes are going to be a lot of me (laughs) talking to... I just feel like I'm 10 years old and my older brother is like, I want to suck dick. And then my dad is like, have we thought about Jesus today? And I'm just like, Mom, this is really good quiche. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm very excited because I'm already, I'm already upset. No, I can, I can see. Like I'm already the, upset. I can see the fight that is. I'm going to desperately try to tamp down, temper down. Because just I, we need to keep on doing the show. We have a contract now for a lot. We of years, have so. mutual respect. Yeah, we are. I'm getting uh, to to dog meets Kennedy. I am Khrushchev, who understands <laughs> that we have to create a back channel to communicate. But on the public, we have to remain true to our on the surface ideology. The Khrushchev huh? of podcasting. Huh. All, All right. I like it. I'll take the Kennedy. If I, actually, no, I won't take the. I don't want that. No, 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 bam, bam. no, no. Don't do that. I don't want that at all. Don't do that at all. As a matter of fact, be the Jimmy Carter of podcasting. No, I don't want to be the Jimmy Carter. He's great. No, you know I'll who be you should the Jimmy be. Carter, about then. To be. I'll create peace between uh, the, the the Israel and Palestine. Marcus, you could you never Israel, be a farmer. Henry, you Palestine. don't like getting up early, and you're terrible at building shit. You would never be able to build a house. He was a <laughs> freaking peanut farmer. All I do is eat peanuts. <laughs> You eat. You're a peanut eater. Yeah. But guess what? You know who? You know who Marcus could definitely be. 
the Hillary Clinton of podcasts. No. Now that she gets to be, she's having her own podcast soon. Is she? That'll really? be fun. All right. Well, we yeah, can't. Not. Ben, <laughs> just a, uh, peanuts. Are they grown above ground or below ground? Peanuts are a legume, <laughs> and they are actually grown below ground. Oh, very good. Wow. Yeah, very good. I'm surprised. <laughs> of course. What, you, you think just... there's peanut trees? <laughs> no. It's just no, no, not... I'm surprised you know that. No, they're peanut. No, 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 no. Everyone... No, you don't give him any respect for this. This is all information that comes from a bathroom reader <laughs> trivia book that is a very, very, that is where he got it from. It is from various bar bathrooms. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Last Podcast on the Left. Uh, again, you can email side stories, L-P-O-T-L at gmail.com. Let us know uh, if you have any insight uh, into what we're discussing, please. Uh, we always are interested to learn more. And keep on supporting all the shows here on LPN. We have our tour coming up for our book tour in April. We cannot wait. We are super excited to go see you the all there. Big thing is, want some? We want just a couple more butts and Beacon Theater in New York City. It's our first show of the tour. Yes, come on out and surprise! Like, come and support us when we are at our hugest venue and at our loosest. Because we will have just tried to do the show once, it was, so it will be a some. So it's going to be a fun ass experiment. So please come see us in this. <laughs> it's technically high pressure, but like Lee Harvey Oswald, we hope to rise to the occasion. <laughs> also, uh, this next month, I have some shows coming up for. I'm screening my documentary "Hail Yourself America." Uh, in March 9th, I'll be in Syracuse. March 10th, Albany. March 11th, Manchester. March 15th, Orlando. March 22nd, Columbus, and March 29th, Kansas. City. And don't forget to, of course, go out and support uh, No Dogs in Space. Yes. We just finished our uh, Stooges series, and uh, this week we started our series on Suicide, which is the band that recorded my favorite album in the entire world. They got a great story. Even if Suicide's really? music isn't your uh, cup of tea, they've still got a fantastic fucking story. So yeah, go check out No Dogs in Space. Yeah, turns out Do they it. all died at the end. <laughs> um, all <laughs> right. Yes, and keep on supporting I, and all the shows here on the Last Podcast Network. I buy our book April 7th is the day it comes out and go to an independent bookstore and do it support yes. your indie bookstore like Barnes & Noble <laughs> super independent <laughs> strange but honestly if you're going to buy it buy it from barnesandnoble.com because that helps us out the most or order it at your local bookstore and and when we are on the road a part of what we're going to do is stop at local bookstores and sign books and leave them. So if you're worried about sign bookstores, the goal is that everywhere we go, we're going to hit up a bookstore and try to sign as many as we can. So Sound like excited. crazy, weird bandits that just leave our signature everywhere. But I love <laughs> yep. it. Um, maybe in Dallas. Maybe Is the book depository still there? But yeah, it's still yep. there. I mean, it's a museum now. Yeah, forget about it. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Magusta Legends. Hail me. With can. Henry, so what was the role on Superstore that you did? Um, it was uh, more of a bagel than a roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Who needs cigars when you got humor like that? Wow. Wow. I played a pedophile. <laughs> Is that right? No. Uh, it's Superstore. That Very was a nice kind show. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. If you're shopping while working, 
eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 